Welcome to the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. Show notes, links and contact details can be found at robnunphoto.com. That's www.robnunphoto.com. SCL is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network and loads of other great tech podcasts can be found over at www.techpodcast.com. Now on with the show. Hi everybody and welcome to SEL, the subject composition and light photography podcast. It's the 26th of May 2013 and this is episode 220. Well, it seems like a long time since um, the last episode. Been very busy at work and at home and etc. But luckily I've got a day off today so I thought I would take the time to record um, a podcast might be quite a long one. This one actually, it's going to be a little bit of a little bit of practice for a video I'm preparing for YouTube on taking sharper photographs with your DSLR. So, um, for you more advanced photographers out there, you might find that it goes over quite a lot of uh, old ground that you're used to. But for everybody else there might be the odd thing that, that you pick up and think ah I'll have to have a go with that I'm not sure how long it's going to take because again the idea of doing it is, is is a bit of practice for the video because it's one thing for example me recording podcasts and being able to sort of just just uh, chatter on for, for, for a while but when you're in front of a video camera there's there's a few more things to worry about in terms of not being able to have uh, a screen in front that I can just simply read off although I suppose I could do it like that um, so I kind of need to get the the uh, the words, if you like, the, the the script into into my head. But anyway, before we get onto that, first a quick talk about what I've been up to um, photo-wise. Well, one of the things I did the other morning was uh, spring has kind of sprung here in the UK, and we've had some fantastic blossoms here on the south coast on the trees. And I've been driving past them on the way to work many times. And eventually, of course, the wind comes along and the blossoms go. But the other morning, I took 10 minutes just to do a quick photo walk up and down Cockner Road, where where I work. And it really was a case of, right, I've got to do it. It's so easy just to park the car up, go into the store, have a cup of coffee, you know, get ready. And I thought, no, leave work another 10 minutes earlier and just spend 10 minutes doing it. And it was a beautiful morning. And I'm really glad I did it. Because the other thing about going out in the spring and the summer when the colours are so vibrant it forces you to shoot in colour well we all shoot in colour don't we most of the time if we're doing digital but it also forces me to post process in colour rather than doing my usual instant flick over to black and white Um, and colour post processing is definitely something I need to work on Um, I'll put some of the photos in the show notes over at robnumphoto.com for show 220 the shots are okay. I think sometimes I'm a little bit heavy-handed when I'm adjusting colour because I tend to sort of increase the contrast in the picture and increase the saturation. At the time, I think that looks nice, but normally afterwards, I think uh, I've probably 
overdone it um, overdone it a little bit and the other thing I did today was that because it's a Sunday and uh, me and Oliver and Susanna are all off together uh, Oliver and Suzanne went to the gym and that gave me two hours again to go on a quick you know photo walk so I kind of thought well what am I gonna do because you think two hours isn't that long but what I did this time was I jumped in the car dashed down to the ferry took some photos walking to the ferry um, and then took the passenger ferry um, which is a foot ferry that you well uh, bicycles and motorbikes and go on it, over to Portsmouth and did a really short photo walk around Queen Street and the Hard and the Portsea area of uh, Portsmouth and I was quite impressed actually because it was such a nice day not blindingly um, sunny because you can imagine going out between kind of 12 and 2 the sun's pretty high in the sky but there were some interesting shadows um, not a really blue sky but you know a bluish sky um, and some interesting buildings around the, that particular area of Portsmouth and what I'm hoping to do as time goes on where I do get a Sunday off and Oliver and Suzanne have gone to the gym I want to cover different parts of Portsmouth kind of doing you know the north end side of it where I work through to uh, maybe down South Sea Way um, more to to the east as well and the, the, the parts of Portsmouth kind of facing towards uh, hailing and, and that sort of business because although Portsmouth is a small area there's lots of there's lots of very different areas within it and I was listening to the Candid, Candid Frame uh, photographer podcast during the week and I can't remember which photographer it was but it was a guy who's from um, the uh, where, 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 what city was he he was from from the um city that got hit by Hurricane Katrina not that long ago which was New Orleans and he was mentioning you know the idea of the the urban hike of going for long photo walks in urban areas because there's all sorts of interesting things you can see and I always think it's a little bit more exciting as well because when you're in the countryside especially in the UK you know you're not going to get attacked by wild animals you're probably not going to get yourself into trouble you might fall over and hurt yourself but that's about it but if you're wandering around a city you know especially if that city's maybe got some more deprived areas and, and I'm not saying you you know you could get mugged anywhere can you but it's always a little bit, a bit more exciting I think as you go down dark alleyways and explore areas that you don't know that might only be slightly off the beaten track but anyway I probably won't be able to post-process those photos and get those ones in the show notes um, but I'll put them in my Flickr photo stream over the next uh, next week or so and the, the whole point of these really short photo books is to keep me sharp keep me frosty as I say uh, keep me out there um, shooting lots of photos because again I do believe that one of the things you've always got to make to do as a photographer is to get better you need to be taking photographs as often and uh, as you can and even the smallest little time spans you have um, to spend on your photography you should go for it because that little time span will help you improve um, and keep your passion going as well because it's also I think a great way of recharging because for that you know that hour I was probably wandering around taking photographs that's all I'm really concentrating on taking photographs and that artistic outlet or technical outlet whichever it is I guess it's a bit of a balance between the two um, just helps me reset myself and re-energize myself I know I always feel a lot better when I come home and I'm kind of ready to uh, ready to rock and roll with lots of other things in my life as well now we couldn't really go any further without mentioning the new Flickr um, 
basically what's happened is they've given Flickr a big overhaul um, and uh, it's it's quite a lot different on the surface underneath it's pretty much the same but essentially if you haven't checked it out already what, what they've done is they've um, made photos well made the photos a lot bigger a lot more in your face with um, larger photos on like the home screen and in your photo stream and um, there's been a mixed reaction to it. Some people have said, "Oh no, I don't like it." Um, I personally think it's great. I think one of one of the problems with when you change anything, um, you're always it's always going to feel uncomfortable, even if you're the sort of person who embraces change. And Flickr hasn't really changed. For, I don't know for probably about since I started there, probably about four years ago. And what they've done now is it's quite a revolution in the way that it displays the photos initially, basically on your on like your home screen where you go to it in the photo stream. It kind of um, tiles them all now, which I think is 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 really nice. When you dig a little deeper and you go into the groups and the discussions, all that is still really the same in the way you where you comment. They've overhauled the Flickr app as well for Android. I don't know about iOS, but I guess they have. Um, so it's a lot prettier. Again, it's all about the photos. You know, they're in your face. They're a lot bigger, and they're presented a lot better. The problem, <laughs> however, and I can understand why people might be annoyed by this, is they've actually gone for really good quality photos. So I guess they're not compressing them as much as they used to not that I ever thought the old photos didn't look very good but because they're a lot bigger it's using a lot more bandwidth and pages are slower to lo to load and if you're on a slow connection like on your phone or say you're using a wireless laptop or there's lots of other people on your home network using using it at the same time some of the, the the pages can load very slowly and I can understand why that um, might annoy people. I think maybe one of the things that Flickr should look at is if they've changed the compression on the photos they display and kind of <coughs> done them at you know high resolution JPEGs, then with very little compression, you know, go back to compressing them a little more because they always look great before, didn't they? Um, but overall, I think it's a great move. Um, it looks a lot better. The photos look a lot better. I'm really <laughs> I enjoy looking through my photo stream a lot more than I used to um, and I think once they get all the little bugs ironed out and get the speed uh, up again I think uh, it, it really is marvellous and what they've done as well is they've kind of taken over the, taken away the need to actually buy a pro account now because everybody gets a terabyte of storage a terabyte of storage that's that's, that's absolutely massive you know you, you won't fill that up you know in years and years of uploading your photographs it really is amazing the fact that they've done that you've got to put up with a few ads but you know a terabyte of storage it used to be you could only put up 200 photos but now you've got a terabyte that's hundreds of thousands of photos that you can upload so i think that's absolutely marvelous that they've done that and all more strength to flicker because people have been leaving it and going to other sites um, but I think you know, just stick with Flickr. Come over to the discussion groups. Remember, it's free to join, and now you get a terabyte of free storage for your photo. So, very, very good indeed. Very, very, very enjoyable. Now, here we go. The SCL guide to taking sharper, <laughs> sharper photos with your DSLR. I'm just going to pause the recording just for a sec because I need to go and get a drink. This bit's going to go on for quite a while. So, bear with me, and I'll be right back. Right, that's better. <laughs> that's better. So, sharper photos. Taking sharper photos with your DSLR or any old 
any 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 camera and the first thing I'd probably say is do you really need to worry about how sharp your photos are a great photo doesn't need to be tack sharp you know Hans Adam said a sharp photo of a fuzzy concept is one of the worst things um, and also if you're bothering too much about how sharp your photos are getting too much into the technical side of it you can lose your spontaneity the feeling of movement in your photos and and the mystery so don't be uh, looking for sharpness for sharpness sake but if you do look at your photos and think actually you know they are a little bit blurry I could do with them being a little bit um, clearer then you know listen on because one of the things that I found especially when I swapped from my Fuji bridge camera to a DSLR that it was very 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 easy to take blur photos with a with a single lens reflex because um, they just don't look after you like your compact or your bridge camera does my little Fuji if um, it was worried the fact that the shutter speed was too long and you were going to get some camera shake it, a warning would come up on the screen you know a little yellow uh, camera with shake uh, movements next to it and you go oh right wait a minute time to boost up the ISO or stick the camera on a tripod or open up my aperture sort of thing um, and I was quite disappointed when I first got DSLR at how crap so many of the shots were that came out of it how soft they were um, so I'm pretty sure that quite a lot of you have probably come across the same thing um, but I think once you learn a few concepts, everything becomes much, much simpler, and uh, you get a lot less of those those bump shots. And the important thing is, you know, you don't have to be shooting in auto. Um, and moving to the more advanced mode is a lot easier than you think. So to 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 copy from the wonderful uh, uh, Frodo's Photo podcast and uh, Jared Polin, I guess you could say this is a little bit of a a guide to to getting out of auto and getting more of the potential out of your DSLR. So understanding the aspects of technique that affect sharpness is really important and if we can include these techniques in the way we take photos that will give us a firm foundation for making other artistic decisions because as with anything technical with our photography the idea is you learn it, you practice it and it becomes second nature, it becomes subconscious. And that frees you up to think about all the other things. You know, you move beyond worrying about how to get a sharp photo. Then you can start thinking about your composition, your subject, and your lights to, to name but three. And there's a number of aspects of a photo that that said, you know, that could be said to make it sharp. These include um, the accuracy of how you focus, um, the depth of field, whether there's any camera shake, and whether there's any subject movement. That the quality of your lens, how you set up the camera. Um, and the post-processing you do afterwards, and I'm going to talk about um, these in this uh, this podcast. Now, if you're questioning how sharp your photos can get, I'm going to be a bit controversial now. What I'm going to suggest is, for the foreseeable future, shoot in JPEG. Don't shoot in RAW, because RAW introduces a lot of other issues relating to how you sharpen your photos in post-processing on your computer. Um, and you can kind of get a little bit caught up in the idea that the reason why your photos are soft is because of the way you're post-processing them, post-processing them, and not how you've taken them in the camera. So to get kind of a baseline to see what you and your camera and lens combination can produce, switch to high-quality JPEGs for a while. Um, 
Now, how to do this, consult your manual, delve into the settings and choose, I would say, you, um, you know, high quality JPEGs um, and if you, I know on my, my camera you have parameters for, for choosing um, the kind of picture style if you like and uh, I would say choose something with, with a plus one on the sharpening and what that means is when the camera takes the photo and produces the JPEG file that you're going to look at on your computer it adds a little bit more sharpening than normal um, and, and you know just have a go with that um, because once you're confident with your technique and ability to produce sharp JPEGs then move into the world of RAW because you'll know that you, your camera and your lens can produce a certain quality of photo and then you'll be able to reproduce that with your RAW uh, processing software. But if you try and jump into RAW straight away it's, it's another uncertainty that can kind of get in the way. So the first thing I would say is start with the basics if you want sharp photos. Um, get your camera out clean the lens with a good quality lens cloth um, and something that actually I heard from the uh, Frono's Photo podcast the other day which I thought was so important I never thought about it before is the lens cloth that you use to clean your lens you know the glass on the front and the glass on the back of the lens don't use it to clean your LCD or your eyepiece or your camera in general or your glasses because when, when we're looking at the back of our camera with our eye on the, on the viewfinder and our face pressed up against the LCD, all these essential oils are coming off our skin and sticking to the LCD. If we then use our lens cloth to clean that and then also use that same lens cloth to clean the, um, the front of the glass on our lens, all these oils, we're transferring them onto the glass of the lens, so use a separate use a separate cloth and then make sure that viewfinder and that LCD screen are nice and clean as well so that you can you can see them. Check your diopter. If you've got an SLR or a DSLR, chances are it has the, uh, a di diopter you can change. And the diopter is the little wheel that sets up the viewfinder so it matches your eyes. And again, have a look at your manual because it'll tell you how to set it up properly but generally you look for the viewfinder defocus the, the, the lens so put on manual focus and, and defocus it and then just set the diopter so that the little autofocus points look sharp to you now I know we're going to be using our cameras mostly in fully automatic uh, foc uh, sorry, sorry, auto-focusing mode but it helps if we can see the fact that that's working as well now the next step to taking sharp photographs is to do a little check checklist with your camera and um, I use the wife checklist and the wife's checklist stands for um, white balance ISO focusing and exposure so you start off with worth for white balance and so I tend to set mine either to auto most of the time or shade um, there's lots of discussions about what you should set your white balance to auto white balance is great in 99% of situations but it does mean your white balance changes all the time whereas if you're in a say a professional situation where you're taking lots of product shots or wedding shots or something you want a constant white balance so if there's a problem you can adjust them all at the same time without having to individually adjust each shot and so for those purposes you're better off sticking your white balance on something like shade if you're outside and then it will give your photos a bit of a pop because it'll warm them up a little bit but it'll also give you that baseline white balance so you can batch change the white balance should you have to 
Um, ISO for a normal going out and taking photographs outside on a sunny day, ISO 100 or 200. Um, and remember that as your ISO goes up, um, your camera adds um, noise reduction and that can lead to photos that seem to lose detail. So we, we'll go with ISO 200. Check your autofocus. Is it switched on on the lens? Um, is it on one shot? And that will probably be in your settings. So what I mean by that is, when you press your shutter button, does the lens just focus and then wait for you to press it all the way down, or is it on like multi or tracking, whereby you press it down and then the the, the lens tracks the subject? For now, let's put it on one shot. So you you aim at your subject in the viewfinder, over the center focusing point, and press the shutter button halfway down. It focuses and it, it stops trying to focus after that. Speaking of focus points. Check your focus point. Is it is it the middle one? Um, check your manual to see how to do it. On my camera, you press the focus point button, and then you use the the like buttons on the back of the camera to move the focusing point and change it to the middle one. So it's just the middle one. On most cameras, the middle one is the most accurate one, um, and and leave it at that. Um, image stabilization on your lens. Have you turned it on? Uh, exposure. So. What we're going to be doing is shooting an aperture priority mode to pop into that. Have you added any exposure compensation? Um, so set it back to, to the base or sort of zero standard. Okay, now we're ready to start practicing. So, you know, by all means, as I'm talking about this, have your camera in your hand and pause the podcast when you want to, um, to, to have a go with some of these ideas. So, focusing seems simple, but it's quite easy to get it wrong unless we know what the camera is doing. So we've put our cameras in aperture priority mode and we're one shot focusing. Um, and we've made sure we've selected the center autofocus point which is the most accurate. So to take a photo, you know, you look through the viewfinder, you use your zoom to do the composition or, or move your feet, and then we point the camera so that the center autofocus point is over our subject. We half press the shutter button down and the, the lens will probably move backwards and forwards a little bit and it'll probably beep at you to tell it's locked in focus. And then if we want our subject in the middle, we press the shutter button all the way down and it will take the picture. However, if you want to do a bit of a composition and get your subject away from the middle, the trick is to keep that shutter button halfway down and that will lock the focus. So then you can move your view to get the composition you want and then press the shutter button all the way down to fire the shutter. This technique is called focus and recompose and it's how you get a subject in focus that isn't in the middle of your picture in a simple way without having to muck around with changing your autofocus point. It's very very simple to do and it almost always means that your subject will be in focus. Now if if we are of subject move during the recompose recom during the recomposition process start again. So you center your subject, half press the shutter, recompose and then press the shutter button all the way down. Now one of the things you may encounter when using focus and recompose is exposure issues um, because the camera is setting the exposure as well when you press the shutter button halfway down. Um, so if your subject is against a bright sky or a dark background and then you're putting them um, over to the edge of the screen then you could get over or over or under exposure. Um, and then what I would suggest is, if it becomes an issue, you know, read your camera manual and there's something called automatic exposure lock, or you can select a different 
uh, autofocus point. But but you'll easily overcome overcome these um, pro uh, overcome these problems. But for now, I would say if you want to practice getting better, sharper focus, use focus and recompose. Focus with the subjects in the middle, then move your lens, and then press the button all the way down. Now, if you're wondering where to focus when it comes to portraits of people or animals, generally it's on the eyes and generally it's on the closest eye that you concentrate on. That's the one you focus on. Um, and remember, we can play around with the way that our camera locks the focus when we half press the shutter to help us out in certain situations. Um, if we're trying to capture a fast-moving subject that our camera is having trouble locking onto, if we know a point at which that subject is going to pass, say it's a car going around a track, we can point our camera at the ground where that point is, lock in the focus, and wait for our subject to reach it, then press the shutter while they're down. Um, and you can find you can use this in all sorts of tricky situations where you've got a very fast moving subject that's going to pass a predetermined point that you know that you can focus on in advance and then just press the shutter when they come over it. Now, excuse me. Before we move on, let's add the big advantage of digital to, digital to the mix. Because every photographer, even the most experienced with the best kit in the world, can take a blurred photo very, very easily, um, even if they've got the best technique. So let's make sure we always take at least two photos of each scene, even better, three. Um, and even if you're sure that you've got the shot, take another one. Because even if you're sure you've got the shot, when you look at the back of your camera at that screen, that also, it makes almost every photo look great. Um, and you've really got to zoom in to have a look at it. And even then, you're not really sure until you look at, look at it at your computer. So I would say, if you can, always try and take at least two, and even better, three of every single scene. Now, let's talk about why we're in aperture priority mode. Um, and what we can do because in aperture priority mode basically what we're doing is we're in control of the hole in the size in the side arc lens which lets the different amounts of light in and the reason why we want to be in charge of that is because the size of that hole um, changes what the depth of field that our camera is focusing on and we want to be able to take control of that mainly for artistic reasons um, and while we're choosing which size of hole or which size aperture or which size f-stop uh, to use, our camera then adjusts the shutter speed accordingly. So if we're in an out and about and we want to take, say, a photo of, say, a flower or a person, where we want a very small depth of field, so we just want our subject in focus, but we want the background and the foreground out of focus, we want a big hole, which means we use a little number, so we'd put dial in something like f3.5 or f2.8 or maybe you're lucky to have a, a fast lens so like an f1.8 or f1.4 if we're out and about and we want to take photos where everything's in, in focus like a landscape or a cityscape we want to use a smaller hole because a smaller hole leads to a bigger depth of field and so we'd use a tighter aperture say something like f8 or f16 also, when we're doing this, um, one of the things to, to all do, if you want a lot of a scene in focus, the rule of thumb to follow 
is focus a third of the way into the scene and then almost everything in that scene will be in focus if you're using a type of tighter aperture like f8 or f16. Now another reason why it's good to be in control of your aperture um, in aperture priority mode is because of something often referred to as the sweet spot of lenses. Um, because when they're designing a lens and manufacturing a lens you can't get a lens that is as sharp, you know, that has maximum sharpness at all apertures. You know, it can't be as sharp at f3.5 as it is at f22. Um, and so, generally, the sweetest spot, the sharpest spot for a lens, is roughly about two stops from wide open. So, what that means is probably on most, say, f3.5 kit lenses the sharp bit would probably be, I don't know, something like f8 or maybe f5.6, something like that. So if you want sharper photographs, generally don't shoot at the extreme. So don't sh if you've got a f3.5 lens, don't shoot at f3.5, shoot at f5.6. If you've got a f1.8 lens, don't shoot at f1.8, shoot at f3.5. Also, when you're using very tight apertures such as f22 which you think would be the sharpest actually they're not and what you'll probably find is that f16 is actually sharper than f22 because of I think it's diffraction of light through through the lens now before we go on any further it's worth discussing shutter speed as this has a massive effect on how sharp our photos would be um, because as we're in aperture priority mode as we're changing the aperture of the f-stop the camera is, is it, we're changing the size of the hole so the amount of light that's coming in and the camera's adjusting the shutter speed so we get an acceptable exposure the problem is that if we're hand holding is that if we're using a tighter aperture or for example the, the you know the clouds come over the sun or we're going inside where it gets a little bit dark the shutter speed can get quite long it can get quite slow and if it gets too slow, the way we way we're holding the camera as human beings will get shaking it, and that means the scene in front of us will blur. So how do you know when your shutter speed is too low? Well, basically, the simple way to do it is just look at the the focal length you're using, so how long your lens is, and turn that into a fraction, and that will tell you the minimum shutter speed you should be on to avoid camera shake. So. Let's say you're using a 18 to 55 lens. Just look down at the zoom barrel and see what it's on. If it's on like 30 millimeters, you know you should be shooting at at least a 30th of a second. So put your camera up to your eye, press the shutter button, have, have a look at the little where it has the shutter speed, and is it higher than a 30th of a second? If it is, you'll be fine. If it's at 50 millimeters, you want to be at a 50th of a second at least. If you're using a telephoto lens and we're up at 200 millimeters, you want to be at least at 200th of a second. Now, with modern lenses, we've probably got image stabilization on as well. So that gives us even more elbow room. But let's not worry about it for now. Let's just make sure that we're at least at 1 over the focal length of our lens. And that will make sure that with static subjects, such as buildings and landscapes, we're not going to get camera blur. Because, because the camera is going, we're going to be taking the, the, the shots at a shutter speed where camera blur isn't going to become a problem. Now, if our subject is moving, we also need to think about that as well. 
Um, and generally, for people wandering around, we want to be above 250th of a second. Um, for sports, maybe a 500th of a second. If it's motorsports or planes, a, a thousandth of a second and higher. So now you're saying, okay, well, I understand that. So if my shutter speed is too low, what do I do? Well, the first thing you can do, because we're in aperture priority mode, we can adjust the aperture. We can make the aperture bigger. Because if you use the aperture bigger, more light's coming in. Therefore, the shutter speed can speed up. Or we can increase the ISO or sensitivity of our camera. Have a look in your manual, see how you do it. But basically, what happens is the camera turns up the gain on the sensor. And there's a lot of gump out there when you read the internet about how you should always stick to low ISOs. But with modern DSLRs and modern cameras, in digital cameras in general, they produce very, very clean images, even at very high ISO. So don't be scared of pushing your ISO up beyond 800. Um, and if you're worried about it, just take lots of test shots of the same subject at all the different ISOs of your camera and have a look at them and see if there's any difference. And you'll probably be very surprised at how good your camera's photos look at, even at ISO 1600 and beyond. I mean, I did that with my old 350D. I say old, I mean, I'm still shooting with it. Excuse me, just going to take a drink. And what I find is that I, if I'm out and about shooting outside on a normal sort of day, I tend to... Um, start off at ISO 200 and I'll be at something like f5.6 on my kit uh, lens um, and if my shutter speed starts getting a bit slow I'll push the ISO up to 400 first and then I'll open up my aperture so I go to like 3.5 if that isn't enough I'll start pushing up to 800 and then 1600 of course all if I'm I'm handling now if you're inside or it starts to get very dark and your subject is close at some point you're going to have to introduce artificial light by turning some lights on using the pop-up flash or adding some sort of strobe or speed light to the top of your camera but for now what I'll say is that your pop-up flash is better than nothing but by investing in a proper ETTL or TTL speed light you won't look back when it comes to taking photos inside it's very they're very very easy to, to use um, they'll sort everything out and you can bounce light off all sorts of services and you'll get beautiful um, photos. Now, chimping or checking your photos on the LCD screen. This is another big um, advantage of um, of digital. And what I would say here is that it's important that we check, but do remember, as I've said before, that most photos look great on the back of your camera, even if they're blurred. The important thing is to, on my camera for example, press the info button so you can check the shutter speed that you took the photo of because you, if you know you, you took the shutter, took a photograph and the shutter speed is a 250th of a second and I'm shooting it with a 28mm um, lens chances are it's going to be sharp if I focus on the right thing and then zoom in, press the zoom button to get right in and then you can have a, that will give you a better idea whether it's blurred or not and if it looks okay, move on um, but it's very important to do this quickly you know don't spend minutes looking at the back of your camera oh is it alright isn't it if you're in doubt just put the camera back up to your eye and take another photograph because every second you spend looking at the back of your camera it's time where we miss the action in front of us so look at the preview zoom in and then move on 
So now we should have a pretty good idea on how to take sharper photos with our DSLRs. We're in aperture priority mode. We're shooting near our lens sweet spot. We're not shooting at wide open. And we're keeping an eye on our shutter speed to make sure it's not getting too slow. And you know, and we know the, the, the point of that is that it's the fraction of our focal length. So if we're shooting at 50 millimeters, we know we should, should be shooting at least 1 50 a second. We know that if the light starts to go, we can open up our aperture or we can increase our ISO to keep that shutter speed fast enough. And we also know that for moving subjects, we need to get our subject even faster. So if there are people running around, a 250th of a second. So for sports, 500th of a second and a thousandth of a second for motorsports, planes and fast moving subjects. Now, we're taking two or more photos each time. Um... Uh, say two to three shots per scene and we're using our LCD screens to chimp fast we're zooming in checking the sharpness and moving on to the next shot and doing those things will really help out and um, you with your, your photos and getting things getting things sharper but now let's see how we can take it more advanced what other things can we think about well one of the most basic things that maybe I should talk about at the beginning actually was was how to hold your camera you know, how do you hold a camera? Um, it's a bit difficult to describe on the podcast, but the, the, I, the way to do it is to think of your arm, your left arm, as a bit of a tripod. So what you want to be always doing is keep tucking your, tucking your elbows in. So you've got the camera, put it against your head and tuck your left arm so it's against your chest. Um, don't get too tense. You want to be relaxed, but hold the camera like that and then breathe softly and what you should be doing is that when you're breathing out that's when you press the shutter now if you're shooting at, at lower shutter speeds you know where you're round about say a 28th of a second when you're at 28 millimeters etc another thing you could do is you can roll the shutter so practice instead of pressing your button jamming it onto the the, the uh, jamming it down to take the picture roll your finger across and that will help you move the camera less another really good trick as well is even when you're shooting static subjects put the camera into continuous shooting burst mode you know because when you're shooting um, at particularly low shutter speeds if you take like five shots in a row like ching 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 chances are one of those is going to be sharp and then in post-processing you know pick out the best one I mentioned it before but consult your manual and learn how to select the different autofocus points as well also have a look at servo focus or continuous focus or tracking mode on your camera as well and learn and learn how to select it and then practice by you know tracking on cars and things and that will help you with moving subjects have a go with manual focusing. If you're in a darker environment, sometimes the autofocus on your camera just won't work properly. Um, it'll hunt backwards and forwards, or it'll want you to put the, the flash up to fire a strobe, and that can really annoy your subjects. So, so switch over to manual. Another thing to do is to kind of forget about focusing altogether and use a rule of thumb called F8 and B there. And the idea with this is what you can do is you just set your, set your aperture to F8 um, focus say about 30 feet away from you um, 
and flick your camera to manual focus and chances are you're ca when you're taking shots of landscapes and things everything's going to be in focus anyway and the idea with f8 and b there which came from the old days of people shooting film and manual cameras you know what settings should you be at well you don't worry about it if you get to a scene you know as a photojournalist all you need to remember is have your camera f8 and just shoot away other things you can do to steady yourself is to lean against something like a wall or press your camera on a wall or a post. Um, use a tripod or a monopod for really good um, uh, steadiness and also sort of moving on from that as well use a shutter release so you're not actually touching the camera when you um, press it or if you haven't got a shutter, shutter release the next thing to use is use the timer on your camera and then the kind of the ultimate way to go is to introduce um, mirror lockup. So again, consult your manual. And the idea with mirror lockup is sometimes in certain situations the, the, the mirror will, will flip up and the camera will shake, and that could affect your photo. Funnily enough, not always on very long exposures. On very long exposures, it doesn't really matter. It tends to be on these kind of middling exposures of like one second, where, where uh, a flapping mirror can affect it. But consult your manual and see how to do mirror lockup. Um, the idea of um, stopping down as well. So, you know, we've talked about depth of field. Um, well, your camera's probably got a depth of field preview button, so you can actually see what's meant to be in focus. Again, check your camera manual. Um, the problem with stopping down and, and using a depth of field preview is that the screen can get very, very dark. It'll be difficult to see what's actually in focus. Um, and finally, when it comes to the camera, and I've deliberately left it to last, the lens quality of the camera you're of uh, the, the lens you're using. Sorry. There, there's no doubt that more expensive lenses get sharper. But most even kit lenses, if you're using them at f8 um, and you're following all these techniques to get sharper photos and you're outside on a sunny day and you focused you know properly, chances are if you were to compare that even with a very expensive lens, you wouldn't see that much difference. Okay, so don't think that you can spend your way out of this problem. Undoubtedly, for certain situations like sports and wildlife photography, or where you've got very fast-moving subjects, having lenses that can focus incredibly fast and tr and cameras that can track things is a big, big billy bonus. Um, and lenses that have uh, faster apertures at longer focal lengths so that you can keep your shutter speed are very, very important indeed. But for your average amateur photographer like myself, um, and probably lots of people out there, you know, your lens at f8 or f5.6 is probably, you know, pretty damn sharp in most situations. And, you know, the rest is just technique. Now, I'll mention it a little bit post processing. Um, by shooting JPEGs, the idea is we can really minimise that. But most of your post-processing software, whether it be Photoshop Elements, Full Photoshop, Lightroom, Picasa, the, the GIMP, there'll be some sort of sharpening techniques you can add. Personally speaking, don't do too much um, because you don't need to. Because most photos, as long as you've taken them, um, in a reasonable manner will look sharp enough on your photo screen and by over sharpening something you can ruin a photo because really you should keep your sharpening for for what we call the output because depending on how you're outputting it 
depends on how much sharpening it needs. So, for example, if you're uh, sending a file to a printer to be printed on a nice glossy sheet of paper that's, you know, but it's like a 6x4 or 5x7, so it's small, it probably won't need much sharpening. If you're putting it onto a large canvas print, you know, you, know, you could probably put more sharpening into it. If it's going for a little photo on a website, you probably don't need much sharpening. So, don't over sharpen your photos but things to use things to look at I mean you can look up these in your software's manuals or on the internet things like I quite like using the high pass filter um, you can use unsharp mask um, and always remember just apply sharpening to the areas that need it you know so apply it to the eyes or some details on things you know. try not to apply sharpening to areas that don't need it like the sky because you'll all you'll end up doing is introducing noise but don't chase sharpness at the expense of your art it's a lot easier to come back to old photos in a few years time and sharpen them up than try and come back to those old photos in a few years time we've over sharpened them and basically uh, ruined them um, and fin finally, don't get too het up about getting ultra-sharp images. You know, if you follow the techniques I've talked about today, you're going to be alright. It'll all become natural, and you won't be chasing the technical ideas. You'll be capturing the moment instead. And as I said at the beginning with the quote from Ansel Adams, there's nothing worse than sharp photo of a fuzzy concept. And I'd also add that many, many, many of the world's greatest photographs or even photo, you know, you pick up a copy of a magazine of National Geographic or Vogue or Elle or, or anything, chances are quite a few of the photos you'll see in there, even the adverts, might or not always be tack sharp because although tack sharp might give you a level of realism, often we don't want always want that in photographs, you know, and, and just think about that for a minute. Right, so that's it for my little guide on taking sharper photos of your DSLR. Thanks for listening. If you're still still with me, um, maybe I've missed some ideas out. So put the comments on the blog over at rublandphoto.com, SCL220. Um, if the show notes aren't there yet, you're one of the early listeners, but they will be there over the next week or so. Thank you very much for to Everyday Jones, who do the intro and outro music. You can find their stuff for free download at everydayjones.com thanks everybody for taking part in the Flickr group commenting on the photo site but most of all I'd like to thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast my name's Rob from robnonphoto.com you can email me um, scalespeeder at gmail.com and hopefully pretty soon I'll see you on Flickr <laughs>